I must confess that this conversation stirs up rather a warm sense of nostalgia of the days when I myself was an atheist. Oh yes, I've heard that all too often. I used to be an atheist, but... It's the oldest trick in the book. Though, by your own reckoning, having thrown off the Christianity of my childhood years, I would have to be among those fortunate souls for whom childhood indoctrination had little, if not no, hold over the faculties of my reason. You're listening to All About Jack, C.S. Lewis podcast. I'm William O'Flaherty from EssentialCSLewis.com, and this is the second show in a new series that will have eight parts showcasing a book by Peter S. Williams called C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheist. So that means Peter S. Williams will be joining me shortly, but before that, I need to take care of a couple of things as the producer and director of the program. The first thing is to let you know that the focus of this episode, which is to provide you with details about the first chapter in C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheist, that the title is Old Time Atheism. That's going to be our theme from Chapter 1. Then last program, we provided you with an overview of the entire book. And the next show, we'll go into the second chapter. As noted already, this is the second in the series of eight shows, so be sure to follow the link in the show notes at EssentialCSLewis.com to hear the previous programs if you haven't already. And if you're listening to this after everything's been released, then you won't have to wait to listen to the next one. You can uh, just find the links in the show notes that I mentioned, you can go to EssentialCSLewis.com, or you can go to where the audio files are hosted uh, directly. That's at allaboutjack.podbean.com, podbean being spelled P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Before bringing Peter S. Williams on, welcome back my co-host for the show. His first name is also Peter, but he does have a different last name. It's Byram. Thanks for returning, Peter B. Thank you. Good to be back. Peter B. does work with a group called Christian Evidence and is also a freelance video and audio editor. Now I'll let him introduce our guest. Certainly. Well, it's my pleasure to introduce Peter S. Williams. He is a Christian philosopher and apologist. He's assistant professor in communication and worldviews at Gimla Collins School of Journalism and Communication, which is part of the NLA University in Norway. Peter also works with the UK Damaris Trust, leading philosophy conferences for A-level students and undertaking writing, speaking, debating and broadcasting engagements. He's authored several books, including A Skeptic's Guide to Atheism, A Faithful Guide to Philosophy and, of course, C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheists. Peter S. Williams, welcome back. Thank you very much, guys. Let's go ahead and get started then with the second program by considering something a little bit more general to the book and then jump into the first chapter more formally, and that is, considering you are advocating Lewis as the one to answer the popular atheist, doesn't Lewis have a disadvantage because of the advances in science made since his death? Well, so far as um, advances in science goes, um, I think that's not particularly relevant when you're um, looking at Lewis's reasons for belief in God. Um, because he doesn't seem to have been particularly interested in um, the arguments to which scientific developments um, are particularly germane, really. Um, So those kind of arguments would be things like the cosmological argument uh, in light of of modern cosmology, uh, or the the design or teleological argument in in terms of modern uh, knowledge of um, cosmology and the biological world and so on. 
Uh, and Lewis wasn't particularly interested in, in those forms of argumentation. He was more interested in the, the more sort of purely metaphysical arguments for God, arguments like uh, the moral argument for God, uh, or arguments about whether um, rationality was compatible with a naturalistic worldview uh, and whether theism made made a, a, a better worldview context for uh, the possibility of human rationality, um, the argument he gives famously uh, in Miracles. Uh, and so uh, developments in science aren't really relevant to those more purely metaphysical arguments that weighed most heavily uh, with Lewis himself. In terms of the modern scientific developments, of course, I, I, I'd add that um, where we have had uh, scientific developments, I think they've actually weighed on the side of those arguments, uh, those philosophical arguments for gods that, that have premises that can be supported scientifically. I think things like uh, Big Bang cosmology, for example, uh, weighs in uh, in supporting um, premises of the uh, uh, the cosmological argument that modern knowledge about the the design, the fine tuning of the universe, the complexity of the the cell, and the informational content of DNA, and so on, weighs in uh, on the side of um, premises that one would put into um, design arguments for God. Um, so I think modern science actually helps the case for God. Um, but Lewis himself wasn't particularly interested in, in uh, that kind of argumentation. Now, Richard Dawkins is the most well-known of the so-called new atheists. But for those of us who are less familiar with the others, who are mostly from Oxford as well, can you briefly tell us who they are and what background they've got? Sure, yeah. It's fascinating that there's this sort of Oxford-centric uh, nature to a lot of the, the new atheism, which, of course, provides a bit of a link uh, back to, to Lewis. Um, so, for example, um, Peter Atkins uh, is a fellow and professor of chemistry at Lincoln College, Oxford. Uh, Dawkins, we know about. Daniel Dennett, although he is an American philosopher, he got his DPhil uh, from Hartford College under Gilbert Ryle at Oxford. Uh, A.C. Grayling, who's a, a British New Atheist philosopher, did his DPhil uh, under A.J. Eyre and P.F. Strawson at Oxford. Christopher Hitchens uh, graduated from Balliol, where he um, got a third in PPE, which is uh, philosophy, politics and economics for the uninitiated. Next in your book, you tell about another Oxford graduate who first published under the name of Clive Hamilton, whom a friend from prep school said he was, quote, foul mouth, and a, quote, riotously amusing atheist. Tell us more about this person and who he is better known as. Sure. I, I spent a little time in the first chapter looking at uh, this chap uh, who first published uh, under the nom de plume of, of Clive Hamilton, uh, whose uh, friends uh, knew him as Jack, uh, looking at his views um, uh, there in Oxford in the early 20th century and seeing how, how new atheist uh, his views uh, sounded, um, his uh, background uh, affected by the troubles in, in Northern Ireland, um, the way in which he felt religion was psychologically uh, oppressive and so on, um, how he was very influenced by the, the sort of social scientists and, and Freudianism and so on, that uh, God was a, a myth and so on. And um, the amusing thing about Clive Hamilton, of course, is that he is C.S. Lewis, um, he first published some uh, uh, poetry as an atheist under the nom de plume of Clive Hamilton, Hamilton being his mother's 
uh, uh, side of the family name, um, and Clive being the Clive from Clive Staples Lewis. It would be fascinating to imagine him drinking with Christopher Hitchens or something in that case. Yeah, Dan um, baby, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right, now, you bring up some interesting points about something that Dawkins has in one of his books, something that he said. Now, he says that when somebody says, I used to be an atheist, but... Now, he believes that that's a trick when somebody uses that expression. So um, what is tricky about his perspective on that? I think what's tricky about Dawkins's perspective on that is his idea that that is a trick. I mean, when someone says, I used to be an atheist, but that's either true or false. Now, if it's false, then, of course, it's a trick. Uh, but in Lewis's case, it's certainly not false. He certainly did used to be an atheist uh, and then changed his mind. Um, and that means that in, in Dawkins's terms, his childhood indoctrination, as, as Dawkins would say, it, can't have been all that strong or, or else he had the... Uh, uh, the presence of mind, the rational faculties to fight his way free of that childhood indoctrination uh, into his um, early Christianity, which he lost. Uh, so he could then at that stage say, oh, well, I, I used to believe that Christianity was true, but... Um, and then, of course, later on in life, he actually um, made this uh, pilgrimage uh, from from naturalism through a sort of idealist, absolute idealist worldview towards theism, uh, and then eventually, uh, a few years after that, to Christianity. So he genuinely could say, I used to be an atheist, but... Um, and as Dawkins admits, when someone can say that, it gives them a, a, a rhetorical kudos uh, lacking uh, in those who can't say that. And I think that, that that's true, <laughs> Uh, but I don't think it's a trick. I think it's a trick to say that it's a trick. Uh, and, and Dawkins, of course, doesn't explain why, uh, if it is a trick to say, I used to be an atheist, but why isn't it uh, Why isn't it that Dawkins is pulling a trick when he himself says, I used to be a Christian, but I, you know, I was brought up Christian. I, I believed at one stage in God. I prayed at one stage and so on, but I gave that up. And here's why. Um, he, uh, Dawkins himself uses the same uh, rhetoric. Well, now, something else you reveal is that Dawkins, uh, what's called a faith head stereotype, is something that Lewis transcends uh, twice over, you say. What do you mean by this? Having been, been raised in a Christian home, Lewis abandons his childhood beliefs at school. Uh, which means Dawkins would have to conclude that that childhood indoctrination, as he, he calls it, uh, either wasn't too insidious or that Lewis's native intelligence was strong enough to overcome it. But then his adult conversion uh, from atheism to theism uh, naturally gains that kind of testimonial uh, kudos that, that, that comes with that. So uh, Lewis changes his mind twice, as it were, uh, he's not, indo he's not um, just sold by being indoctrinated into a particular view. He, he thinks about it for himself and he changes his mind. And then he thinks about it for himself again and changes his mind again. Um, so he's certainly not a, a faith head, just sort of railroaded into believing uh, what those around him uh, want him to believe. Um, he's someone who thinks about it for himself. Uh, and in light of the, the knowledge he has at the time, is prepared to change his mind about things. Now, there is another atheist, uh, one of the new atheists, Sam Harris, 
You note that in his, um, well, in, in the very first chapter of your book, Sam Harris has a dislike of Dr. Francis Collins. Now, I gather that Lewis had quite an influence on Francis Collins. So who is he and how did Lewis influence him? Okay, well, Dr. Francis Collins uh, is an American Christian and a scientist. Uh, He led uh, the the Human Genome Project um, to its completion. He was the last leader of the Human Genome Project. He now works for the uh, National Center for Health, I think, in America. He's a specialist in genetics, in particular genetic diseases and so on. And um, Sam Harris uh, wrote an astonishing article um, criticizing Dr. Francis Collins and comparing him to his his predecessor at the Human Genome Project, who was James Watson, uh, who was a part of the, the Watson and Crick team who discovered the, the, the double helical structure of DNA and so on. Uh, but Watson uh, had later on in life uh, passed some comments uh, about um, intelligence in Africans that was perceived uh, to be racist and uh, was uh, sort of led to academic defenestration and so on, says Harris. But but Harris says, OK, Watson's comments were troubling, but they, they could in principle have been scientific. There could have been evidence for that kind of a view. Whereas now the Human Genome Project's being led by this Christian, Francis Collins. And as a Christian, that means that... Um, uh, he has viewpoints which can't, in principle, be, be supported by evidence because um, he follows this this new atheist meme that uh, faith means belief without evidence, uh, and uh, that really troubles him. That you know this massive scientific American project is being led by someone who, good grief, you know, is not some weak tea Christian, as he says, but actually believes in God, actually believes in the resurrection, and so on. Um, now, the interesting link here is that that Francis Collins. Uh, went from at least being a fairly uh, hard agnostic uh, to believing in Christianity uh, whilst uh, studying uh, medicine. And part of his uh, his own journey was reading Lewis's uh, Mere Christianity uh, and particularly uh, Lewis's version of the moral argument uh, weighed with uh, Francis Collins. Um, so there's the, the link back there to Lewis again and, and the way he's still influencing uh, people today. And I, I throw this in just as a, uh, an aside, because I only just remembered it. Um, now, wasn't Francis Collins involved in actually giving some rather groundbreaking treatment to Christopher Hitchens, I think, when he had his cancer or something? I think they, they, he was quite involved in trying to save his life. Yes, in, in, indeed. Indeed, he was, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know, yeah. I don't know much specifics of the details, but yes, and there was certainly a link there between, yeah. between Collins and, and Hitchens in terms of medical treatment. And then, of course, uh, actually, even though we are uh, covering quite a bit of material here in Chapter 1, there is much more, so we want to encourage the listener here to pick up a copy of C.S. Lewis versus The New Atheist by Peter S. Williams. Now, uh, an objection, though, that you point out to Lewis, uh, th- there is some stuff that, that you mentioned in, your, in this chapter we're not going to cover, but, mm. but something that I do want to cover is an objection you point out is that, that that's, Ill, that's ill-informed that you dismiss that Lewis is a favorite among evangelical Christians, as well as the fact that it's claimed that he's not highly regarded today by either theologians or philosophers. What proof can you tell us about these statements, or uh, what's the uh, clearer perspective? Sure. Well, I think this is is a way in which some try and sort of dismiss Lewis as a sort of niche interest, as it were. Oh, yeah, He's, he's of interest to evangelicals who like him, but he doesn't really carry weight 
outside of those evangelical circles, as it were. Um, and that's, that's wrong for a number of reasons, including the fact that for, for some evangelicals uh, would not particularly laud uh, C.S. Lewis for some of his views. He's a little too liberal for some on the uh, conservative end of the evangelical spectrum on certain issues, for example. Uh, but also I point out um, that Lewis is taken seriously, not just by um, evangelical uh, philosophers, but by philosophers uh, more broadly, both theist and indeed non-theist. So I, I have a, a number of quotes um, from people like the English philosopher Mary Midgley, for example, uh, who talks particularly about Lewis's book, The Abolition of Man, uh, which she values highly, or um, the way in which Anthony Flew uh, talked about his respect uh, for Lewis, whom, of course, he met through the Socratic Club um, at Oxford, and um, various uh, other folks from outside of the, the, the Christian circle who uh, engage uh, seriously with Lewis. One uh, other uh, signpost of this, for example, I've got the, the latest edition of Professional Philosophy of Religion Journal, Philosophia Christi, uh, which I think is the, the world's highest circulating um, professional philosopher of religion journal and the latest edition of philosophia christi contains an article by the philosopher stuart goetz uh, defending the argument from reason as given by c.s lewis in mere christianity um, so there is lewis very much uh, being part of the contemporary philosophical discussion still uh, in the pages of uh, the recent edition of a professional journal of philosophy now, on Anthony Flew, you underscore the fact that Anthony Flew didn't manage to refute Lewis's defence of the Christian faith. Can you tell us more about that? Well, that's actually a comment from Flew himself. He was asked if he had refuted C.S. Lewis, whom he, he knew through the Socratic Club and so on. And, and Flew said, no, no, I haven't refuted his arguments. I just disagree with them. <laughs> you know, um, we uh, often uh, don't get uh, sort of knockout blows in the in the in the discussion as it evolves. Um, Lewis was someone that he held in high regard, but with whom he he disagreed. Um, of course, um, notably, flew himself uh, later on in life in about two thousand and four. Uh, moved from atheism to a belief in some kind of a creator god, although he continued uh, to disbelieve in life after death and not to believe uh, in any particular uh, revelation claim, um, but said, you know, I've now come to believe that there is a god. Uh, new evidence has come in that has made me uh, reconsider my views on that. And he actually quoted from the from the, the motto of the Socratic Club, uh, which was about uh, following the evidence wherever it leads. He says, I'd always followed the evidence wherever it led, and I think new evidence had come in that led to a belief in God. And that was a, a motto um, that he used to describe why he had changed his mind, and a motto that came from uh, the Socratic Club, uh, at which uh, Lewis was the, the president and an oftentimes speaker uh, back in Oxford in the day when Flew would have attended uh, some of those meetings. Well, if that particular notorious atheist can come to believe in God, but also be respectful of, um, uh, you know, disagreeing with Lewis's arguments, but not outright dismissing them, then there is hope, I guess, for people like Dawkins. Well, one, one can only hope that's uh, to, to try and encourage to actually engage with people's arguments. And that's what I try and, and, and do in this book, to, to put Lewis's arguments into dialogue with the arguments of the new atheists, uh, where they touch on each other. 
uh, and try and show uh, in a methodical sort of uh, logical uh, methodology of the philosopher uh, why I think Lewis would have the best of that discussion. Well, now, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up here shortly, but I want to note here that in terms of the uh, things that we're talking about, well, first of all, uh, people who maybe didn't get a chance yet to listen to the first show, it did an overview of the entire book. Even with that, just giving uh, a a taste of some segments in in the chapters, it's not really until Chapter 2, which is what we're going to deal with next time, that you get into the meat of things. And so we want to be sure to encourage people to listen to all the rest of the programs. Something else, though, that I wanted to note at some point, and that is in each of your chapters, uh, you provide more than a few footnotes and recommended resources. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that as well as why you did it the way you did? I like footnotes and I like uh, people recommending resources uh, for me to go and and look up stuff when I'm uh, reading books. So I I imagine fondly that folk like that when I'm writing them. Um, and I like providing a range of resources, so not just books to go and read, but um, uh, uh, links for online articles, for websites, uh, for YouTube things. I've also, I mentioned uh, my uh, website links to my YouTube channel where I do a lot of archiving of YouTube playlists uh, where I try and find what I think are really good videos on particular topics. And then I put into the book uh, the YouTube playlist on that topic uh, and thereby I can keep uh, updating that playlist uh, after the book has been published. So uh, you continue to get uh, stuff that is online. It hasn't been taken off and is relevant and can keep adding to those lists as well. Um, So I try and uh, use all of the material that's out there. All right. Well, again, as I mentioned before, I'm afraid I'm going to have to wrap up the show now, uh, which has just, to give you a taste of material you can find in greater detail in Chapter 1. Again, the book is C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheist by Peter S. William. He's been our guest. As also previously mentioned, there is a total of eight episodes in this series. This is just the second one. Trying to give you here now uh, a healthy taste of each chapter, but there is much more when you read the book itself at your favorite uh, bookstore or online retailer. Well, before going, let me uh, have uh, Peter B. also again tell us a little bit about himself before having Peter S. Williams tell us something about one of his more recent books, A Faithful Guide to Philosophy, why he wrote that and uh, who it's for. So, Peter B., tell us about yourself first. Sure. Well, I come primarily from a sort of arts background, uh, mainly sort of drama and theatre, but more recently sort of filmic, video editing, graphics, technical sort of um, aspect. Um, So I do freelance video editing at the moment, and I try and use that to help out whenever I can with uh, Christian apologetics, uh, just to try and give something back to it, really, because uh, Christian apologetics was very influential in bringing me to being a, a Christian So, um, yeah, those are the two worlds that I kind of uh, inhabit at the moment. Now, before we go, Peter Williams, can you tell us about one of your other books briefly, uh, A Faithful Guide to Philosophy? What what have you been doing with that one? The subtitle here is uh, A Christian Introduction to uh, the Love of Wisdom. And the love of wisdom being a fairly sort of literal rendering of what the, the Greek word philosophy, philo, love of, sophia, wisdom, uh, means. It's a sort of introductory textbook uh, of philosophy uh, written from an explicitly Christian viewpoint. Now, of course, any introductory textbook of philosophy you pick up will be written by someone who has a viewpoint. Uh, I'm just being very upfront about what mine is. Uh, I hope it will be uh, useful and interesting to to readers of all different worldview persuasions. 
Um, but I guess I am particularly wanting to kind of push uh, to uh, the Christian reader that philosophy is something that can uh, comfortably sit as part and parcel of their Christian spirituality, um, that faith and reason should walk hand in hand. The beginning of the book lays out uh, how uh, faith and reason uh, interact with one another uh, in Christian spirituality, uh, what the Bible has to say on those topics and so on, looks at how arguments uh, should work and how they can go wrong, and looks at a range of, of topics, particularly, I think, of um, central uh, interesting topics in philosophy that are also central topics within Christianity. So arguments for and against the existence of God, arguments about the nature of human personhood, um, the relationship between mind and body, issues about free will and so on, um, some issues about beauty, the relationship between science and theology and so on. So it's a sort of um, fairly uh, rounded uh, 400 page or so introduction to philosophy uh, for the sort of sixth form and undergraduate kind of student level reader um, that is from an explicitly Christian viewpoint. Sounds good. We encourage people to pick that book up as well. Well, all that's left for me to, to do is to, uh, first of all, thank Peter B. Thanks for being the co-host today. Thank you for having me. And then let me thank Peter S. Williams for joining us here as our guest. Thank you very much. And for the listener here, let me remind you to be sure to stop by centralcslewis.com for a range of resources, including in the show notes, any links that we talked about, as well as other programs besides uh, this type of interview and others in the program. You can go to, again, centralcslewis.com, or the audio program itself is hosted at allaboutjack.podbean, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Again, allaboutjack. Dot podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com. 